You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Seth Numerick. Seth is a wonderful actor. He was two years ahead of me at Juilliard, and I've always admired his work. I love his thoughtfulness as an artist and his gentle energy. He has been working out of town a lot the last few years on a TV show, Turn, and now he's back and I'm so glad because we're neighbors and we're getting to hang out and see each other so much more. It was a pleasure to sit down with him and hear about where he's at these days. And I hope you enjoy the 86th episode of The Compass. So the question I always start with, is what do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Mm. Yeah, I know that because I'm a listener <laughs> to this I try to, to keep podcast. that one the same. And of course. Oh, and I love it. Like, I really love that you start every one with that um, question because it's such a big one and such a multifaceted one. And it's so amazing to hear everyone's different react reactions and what it means for them and but it also means that being a listener to the podcast, like I've been thinking about since you asked me to do, <laughs> to do this, I've been thinking about, you know, well, what is my, you know, what is that for me? And, and then starting to have these doubts or these questions of like, you know, wow, pff, does anyone really want to hear what I have to say? Or like, who cares? Or That's why I <laughs> right, right. So then in that process, in the midst of that, it's so funny because I felt myself like oh right well that's it that's my thing (laughs) that's my that's yeah that question those questions those like doubts and self-criticisms and uh, and so it was just interesting to like recognize realize that happening you know in real time (laughs) as it is right now uh which is amazing and you know for me uh, thinking about it for the last few days um i find myself in an interesting place of wanting to ask like the reverse question of myself how do I not avoid (laughs) going to the dark side how do I actually resist the urge to avoid it to the extent that I do do you know Mm. what I mean and and I think that for me is is like to acknowledge it yeah and to and to be there to like let it be a thing that's happening for me and not and not um, cave into the urge to just, to just try to run away from it. Um, (laughs) and, 
you know, I think that, well, I was thinking about um, Joseph Campbell and the idea of the shadow, right? Like the archetype, uh, the idea of the shadow. And, and in his, I think, in my poor reiteration of his, his idea of it is that it's something that's ever present. It's always there and that it is uh, a part of us and it's a part of us that can be scary and can be, you know, dark or frightening. Um, but it also is a place of inspiration and it's a place of um, unknown powers, even. He sort of talks in this way about it. Mm. And so th thinking of that for myself, you know, I think I spend or have spent quite a lot of time in my adult life in, <laughs> in, in darkness or in, in that shadow place. Um, I deal with depression and anxiety as so many people do and, and, you know, have those moments. And, and often my initial instinct is to just get away from it, to just like do what I can to solve the problem, to fix it or to, um, you know, to resist it. Right. And I think that I'm learning, uh, for myself in my own way that my efforts to resist oftentimes just, just feed, feed the unhealthy relationship to it, you mm -hmm. know, and that I'm neglecting it in, in a lot of ways. I'm neglecting, like, addressing what it, you know, even just saying hello to it. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. and I think that that takes a certain type of acknowledgement. Um, I'm doing, I'm researching this stuff right now about dream, uh, dream yoga. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, that. tell me about it. Dream yoga is something that I learned about from someone I met over the summer at this program I was working at. And, um, and he told me about this practice of dream yoga and it's it's well there's a sort of ancient tibetan tradition where you know that's how they talk about it as a yoga in the sense of uh, a spiritual practice um, of developing lucidity and recognition consciousness within your dreams hmm. um, and then there are different approaches different sort of ways of going about it it's more western approaches and then these older ways of, of approaching it, but um, finding a way to interact with your subconscious in the dream state and being able to like actually very literally confront different parts of your psyche and be with them and talk to them and, and recognize them for what they are. And that, that that level of awareness is heightened when you when you develop the ability to be conscious of the fact that you're dreaming then you're right. also able to recognize that every person everything that you interact with is an aspect of you it's being created by you so there's a, an amazing sort of freedom and power in that uh on many levels but then to be able to to like actually be in conversation with something yeah. that you're afraid of or that you don't even know what it is that you're afraid of and and being able to try to dig in to whatever the images and the experiences that your subconscious is creating around that thing. So that's something I've been thinking a lot about. And, and that for me, there's been, you know, darkness that comes up or things that make me uncomfortable, things that make me afraid um, and that keep me operating much of the time from a place of fear. And, uh, and I want to figure out how to like how to integrate in order to then not let those things be in the driver's seat of my experience of my life or, right. or the thing that is, that is um, uh, motiva motivating certain decisions or certain reactions. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm at right now with the question. How do no, I not, I totally how do I not avoid <laughs> the dark side? 
Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, I'm being sort of willfully obtuse because obviously <laughs> there are, you know, you can't operate from that place. So then there right. are practical things. Yeah, what things sort of that, practical things do yeah, you right. do? Yeah, just keep to, it like, simple. Function. Numeric. Just no, but <laughs> I, I totally, I totally relate to that. Yeah. Of getting to the place where you're operating from. Mm, yeah. And, and I say that And that, that just more, becomes your habit. Right. And, and it's, of course, like it's, you know, it's one of those things that is an, it's an unattainable goal or it's a, it's an ever uh, renewing process that you're never going to like get to the point where you're not <laughs> doing that. It's about addressing, understanding, raising awareness of your own behaviors and the, and the way your mind works um, to be able to, you know, at least calm it down a little bit or, <laughs> or have the choice in moments, yeah. you know, where but I think I that acknowledgement from? is really healthy yeah. to be able to at least say and it's part of why I wanted to start this podcast is like to at least yeah. say this is something that's hard for me yeah or like this is oh. something that this is yeah. how I feel and then yeah just being like oh okay I'm okay with that right or <laughs> right this is what I'm gonna do to try to yeah. help yeah. myself yeah yeah and and to just acknowledge that it's a part of our collective human yeah. experience instead you know, of like just every, being like everybody. I'm so great <laughs> right, exactly. I'm so happy exactly yeah exactly <laughs> all the time yeah and and I think that that you know that recognition of the fact that it's something that we share has been very important to me and when you just ask about you know practical things one of those things for me in the last few years that's been very important is therapy is just having some you know yeah. a professional <laughs> to talk to and finding the right person because that's not yeah. an easy thing all the time but have you been able to um, keep that up when you're i know you've been working out of town so much yeah so my therapist that i work with is actually based in richmond virginia because oh. that's where i've been working part of the time for the last few years and i developed a relationship with him there and now we meet up on skype when i'm not there and you know it may i may move into something else at some point but for right now he, he's been a huge help to me and and one of those initial things that um made such an impact that i wasn't expecting was to be sort of expressing frustrations and concerns and and um and fears and and letting all of that out in those you know first moments that you have with that someone in, in that kind of budding relationship and for him to respond like yeah that's pretty normal. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, really? That's pretty much I what thought a, it was a you monster. know, right? Exactly. Yeah, and and you know, recognizing that these are things that everybody we all deal with them, and yet we don't we don't really talk about them, or it's still there's still stigma around it, and and we live in a competitive world where you know acknowledging vulnerability and weakness is still not valued. It's not yeah. regarded, and and it's you know it's actively um, shut down and and opposed. So I just think any any step towards that is is at least a step in the right direction um and then yeah i mean and then in that process and in other processes developing other practical things like i know for me that if i'm active in my body in certain ways then that helps my brain chemistry or i know that cultivating mindfulness you know for me is something that that keeps me grounded um or that i can come back to in moments where I'm losing touch with my, uh, in moments where my doubts and my um, critic self-criticism is taking over and taking right. the driver's seat, and I can, you know, come back to certain things sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> it crashes and burns, and I spiral into my own neuroses. That happens too. Yes. <laughs> so that's all part of it, isn't it? It happens to all of us. Mm. Yeah. So I distinctly remember, this is a tangent, I distinctly remember the first time I met you, because for some reason, 
when I started, it was right before we started Juilliard and we had that thing where like the fourth years meet the first years or the third years meet the oh, first right. years or something like that. Yeah. And people kept telling me, oh, I, I don't know if it was because I had gone to Chautauqua and I had told people that, like, uh, but, oh, I had met Becky and Ralph and some of our teachers in Chautauqua. And people were like, oh, Seth went to Chautauqua. Yeah. Seth is so great. You should meet Seth. <laughs> um, and I don't know if the home education thing had come up at that point right. or not, but yeah. I distinctly remember meeting you and just being like, oh, this is like, this is my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and we've kept in touch here totally. and there and then we haven't seen each other for years and now I'm yeah. so excited that you are living a few <laughs> blocks away from us mm, yeah me too um, me too but <laughs> how did you first get into acting that was um, a roundabout way of yeah. saying i'm glad you're here thank you <laughs> and how did you get into you know acting what? when I you were being say, homeschooled in the midwest <laughs> while we're on while we're on tangents i want to say how glad i am to be here and that's because of oh i already just sort of said it but how much i appreciate and respect and admire what you're doing with this and that I love that it's radio because radio is like a passion of mine. I'm such an audiophile. I love anything spoken word. I love radio drama and I like yeah. really lament that we don't have that in our culture. It's still a big thing in the UK. It's still a very active art form. We don't have that here anymore. But anyway, I just love listening to things. Okay, well at the end, if you want to <laughs> recommend some things, you can let us know oh, that's along good, those lines. I'll think about that for sure. Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, oh, about how I started acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I am, um, I'm so lucky, so lucky, and blessed with the family that I uh, was born into, and for so many reasons. And one of those being that the arts, and specifically the performing arts, were a huge part of my life and my family um, all the way from the beginning. And my dad is a theater artist as well. He's an actor. Um, and a storyteller in the very literal sense, not in the sense of how we all, oh, we're all just storytellers. Like he's an actual storyteller yeah. <laughs> and uh, made, you know, his living for quite a while as a professional storyteller. We used to go to the and... Michigan Storytellers Festival oh, wow. every year and I was just blown away yeah. by those like professional storytellers. Oh, it's man. Like, such an art form. Yeah. And so my dad, he's an amazing guy and he's traveled all over the world and collected stories from different cultures. He's worked a lot with uh, uh, certain large um, ethnic groups that live in the Twin Cities. He's worked with Somali groups and a lot with the Hmong community and they're, they're an or completely oral culture. They don't have a written language, so oral tradition is you know obviously paramount to their w way of living. And so he um, worked a lot with folks from that culture. And uh, yeah, and so my brother and I being homeschooled, as you mentioned, very often were, um, there with him for these storytelling programs and then from there kind of that developed into when he needed you know someone to he did a lot of work with kids as well not just storytelling but um, doing conflict resolution through story and through um, you know kind of role-playing and a acting basically as a form of, of healing and talking about trauma and self-expression you know arts education stuff so we would be the ones there to like give the example of what you know <laughs> so that was my kind of first experience with <laughs> with being in front of people um with me and my brother kind of you know acting out these little these little plays um but then my uh, my experience just at home you know we would go and see plays uh we would read plays together. I have distinct memories of sitting with my dad 
on my parents' bed in their bedroom with like me under one arm and my brother under the other arm, you know, next to my dad, like with this tome of the complete works of Shakespeare, and we <laughs> sit there and like read Shakespeare out loud. And, you know, of course, you grow up thinking that your experience is like everyone else's, and like, right. <laughs> how unusual is that? Um, and my my dad wasn't really acting when I was a kid. He was running this theater company that was more about um, arts education and doing the storytelling work. And and when I was a kid, I was very actually very active in sports. I loved sport. I played every sport. Um, and then <laughs> when I was about eleven, I had this. It wasn't an injury really, it was sort of a degenerative knee condition where like my knees go screwed up and um, and it just meant I couldn't do sports anymore, like done. I had gone from playing every sport at every different season to just like can't do any of that. Uh-huh. Um, and so the, the acting thing kind of came out of like, well, what can I do that's not, <laughs> that's not <laughs> sports? And of course, you know, having been exposed to it from a young age, it, I was already attracted to it. But I don't know that I would have found that at quite as naturally or at that age if, if I hadn't had that issue. Yeah, so I started, you know, the Twin Cities is an amazing place to grow up in terms of access to culture and, and theater and the community there is incredible and my dad's still a very active member of it. Um, and so there was just stuff happening all the time and I, I actually, my very first, I think this is right, uh, on stage experience was with a homeschool theater group that I don't know if it exists anymore, but theatrics was what it was called in Minneapolis. And they would sort of create or facilitate the school play experience, but for kids that didn't go right. to school. So we would, you know, do these these plays. And then I kind of found my way into other, you know, youth theaters in the Twin Cities and then eventually worked at some of the more professional theaters. And so from about the age 12 on, I was just always in a play. Um, and then another brilliant thing that my dad uh, caught on to and, and figured out how to do as an educator was to, so my dad was the primary educator for us as homeschool kids. And uh, he figured out how to almost base my curriculum in a lot of ways around the play that I was working on at any given time. So if I yeah. was, you know, I, I, for two years in a row, I, I did uh, To Kill a Mockingbird at a theater in Twin Cities. And so when I was studying, it was all around, you know, the civil rights movement and what was going on at that, in that place awesome. and at that time and like really dig into, so my education became focused around that. And so I have a weird, like I weirdly know a lot about certain specific things <laughs> and then there are other things that I have no idea about, which is fine. But, but more than anything, you, you know, survived to me, song. right. I have that too. And yeah. Yeah. I think maybe that's common with homeschool people, but but for me, I mean, I think of education as developing a hunger for learning. You know, yeah. you're learning how, so you to, know how learn. to learn. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that now as a professional actor because that's what I love to do. I love to research. I love to get into uh, a role and in many different ways. I try to find as many ways as possible that I could um, think to approach something from a, a kind of research standpoint. And I'm, I'm so lucky to have had that kind of wired in with how yeah. my dad um, chose to to educate um so yeah that was that was my initial kind of foray into that world and and again I'm so lucky that my parents you know um both were so supportive of that and just that it was a thing that 
made sense to do, which it isn't in every family. And that my, my mom is also, she's not uh, in the theater herself, but is such a lover, so passionately cares about the arts and about theater. And my mom is, a, is amazing as well. And she is actually an artist. She's an artist. She's a fabric artist. She makes, she weaves and she knits and does amazing. She oh, spins cool. yarn and she's a, a healer. She works as a women's health nurse practitioner. And um, anyway, I'm just so lucky for so many <laughs> reasons to have the family I do, but uh, but that the arts were encouraged and inspired. Um, and then, you know, being homeschooled, I had a weird trajectory through education, as I think many of us <laughs> do. Um, and when I was in what would have been my sophomore year, I guess, of high school, um, I started thinking about college and stuff. And in Minnesota, we have weird laws around post-secondary enrollment. And so you can if you're at a school that doesn't offer advanced placement classes, or if you're homeschooled, then you can choose to do that kind of stuff at a university. So in that year, I basically did like my what would have been my first year of undergrad at the University of Minnesota. Um, so I was living at home, but taking all my classes at school right. and doing, you know, a full load of a full whatever you call it. Um, course load. Course load. Yeah. And and as a part of that, I did some theater stuff because I knew that was, you know, where I wanted to go, basically. And it was great, and it was a lot of fun. It was so it was such a weird shift to go from, as you know, like, <laughs> nothing, you know, me and my brother, to yeah. a lecture hall with, you know, hundreds of people. It was such a shock. But, but I really realized then that I wasn't interested at the time. I mean, I was so young, but <laughs> I wasn't interested in a normal undergrad program I wanted to do something more intensive I wanted to have an acting training conservatory experience um, so then that year I started thinking about schools and things and and then my dad and I drove down to the kind of consortium auditions in Chicago you know where they do all the auditions yeah. and and actually I applied to Juilliard on a whim at the last minute because my parents had seen a PBS documentary about Juilliard <laughs> And they're yes, like, this PBS. place looks interesting. <laughs> I was like, okay. So we sent in an application literally the day that it was due. And, all, you know, and I went to these auditions thinking, uh, you know, this will be a chance to kind of go through the process and see what it's like. And then I'll come back next year and right. like, do it for real. And I think because I did not, <laughs> didn't uh -huh. really, there wasn't much writing on it for me. And I didn't prepare for it. I mean, I literally took a bag of plays in the car with me and chose monologues and the day before. And... And so then getting into the school, I was like totally, you know, totally shocked. And and I thought that they'd made a mistake because I was so young. And I was like, did I put... Am I allowed? Yeah. I mean, it was very confusing. And my parent, you know, now think... It, at the time, it felt like a natural thing. But now looking back on it, like I was 16 years old and my parents just like <laughs> drove York. me to New York and <laughs> dropped me off. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's um, Incredible. that they did that. I don't think I would do that. No, they had faith in, I guess, in your yeah. independence and yeah, in your yeah, ability. Yeah. Um, and in the school out. to like, you know, keep me in line, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, I'm answering more of a question no, than you I actually want, asked. I but, wanted to know all of that. But that's, yeah. Um, going back to like your love of research and yeah. how that served you as an actor, what are some of the ways you found that you've had to change your process when you're doing like TV stuff? Mm -hmm. as opposed to theater <laughs> like have you have yeah. you found any tools to try to make it i i don't really have tv experience but yeah 
to make up for the lack of a rehearsal process. Like, how, yeah. do, how do you make it feel fulfilling oh, and I wish to be I prepared? Knew. I wish I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it, or I'm at least, yeah. like, I don't even know if that's fair to say. I'm, I'm hopeful that there is a way. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of awesome that the show you just finished, yeah. Turn, was about a historic time period totally. so i'm sure you now know all about that yeah yeah although you know what even with that funnily <laughs> enough there was a point at which i had to stop doing research because then it started to upset me so much how divergent the right, show when they would veer from. from the truth yeah or from my idea of the truth or i, I don't yeah. know yeah look it's a totally different thing in my experience i've had very limited experience as well and i've really only experienced one version of how a show has run for us for a sustained period of time um, and I also know that the world that world is changing so much and so quickly that I think there are opportunities for things to be created and and um, and run in different ways the way that the show that I worked on ran um, was really hard for me because they're yeah coming from theater I just didn't I didn't know what to do I didn't know what we were supposed to do to not have a process to not have rehearsal right. um, and I would look at these older actors that could do such amazing work in that context and I'm like well it's clearly possible I just don't know what to do. <laughs> I just don't know how to, order how to do this like, it's yeah. just a totally different beast yeah and, and I think that um, I'm still looking for uh how I find my way into feeling um, feeling like I'm in a process that makes sense to me in that world because I, I haven't I haven't had that experience yet and I'm hopeful that, yeah. that it could I think I need to be more active in in pursuing it and I think that as I study actors that I admire and look at the way that they operate as as performers in those spaces um, that there are ways and that there uh, that there are ways to do it and not be selfish about it and not mm -hmm. be you know demanding in an un unrealistic way um and i think at the end of the day it, it must come down to you know you can take care of what what you can take care of <laughs> one of my best friends and like a brother to me and a mentor in so many ways daniel talbot who i love so dearly and he always talks about he's a big tennis fan and he talks about tennis, which is also, I know nothing about tennis. <laughs> but I understand what he's saying when he says you can take care of your side of the net, that you're, you, can always, you can't control what's happening on the other side of the net, but if you're taking care of your side of the net, you can be responsive to whatever's coming at you, and that's how you can stay you know, in, your, um, in your own process of your work and, and be responsive but not be dependent you know, right. on whatever's happening. Uh, over there and I yeah I see people that that have figured it out um, and I may, maybe I'll <laughs> figure it out someday yeah. but, um, but it's hard it's it's hard and it's a different world and um, yeah I don't know. <laughs> that's all I got can we talk a little bit about like businessy financial junk hmm I know you've had the good fortune to work a fair amount since graduating. I don't know if you've had to take side jobs or not, but also like, how have you kind of dealt with either balancing that or being a business person mm -hmm. as well as an artist in your mm -hmm. career? Mm -hmm. Like, um, handled the pressures of that or the just having to deal with that side of right. um, 
you know, you're not always creating. You're having yeah. to deal with a lot of uh, yeah middlemen and negotiations and yeah, yeah. That's a, such a big question and one that's very present for me right now, and it very much relates to me to what I was trying to say at the beginning of of you know how do I find my ways to to reconcile my dark side rather than to try to push it away because I've discovered I've made sense of something recently in some way for myself about my relationship to money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that a big part of my problem is that I'm so afraid of it I'm so terrified of just the idea (laughs) of money generally (laughs) just just freaks me out you know and Uh and everyone has their relationship to money I think based on maybe how you grow up or how um or or how you see the role models in your life deal with money and and so for me, I, um, you know, it's one of those things that I have to work to figure out what it is about it that freaks me out so much, because otherwise in any situation, I'm going to be, it's going to be challenging for me. Right. <laughs> and I say that in the sense of, and that weirdly, like when I was starting out and, and was, you know, had some time where I was working other jobs and, and, you know, any theater actor in New York, you're struggling to make ends meet all the time. Um, and that kind of made more sense to, to me in some way. And then, and then working and working in a different medium and in one that felt significantly less like work to me (laughs) and making significantly more money. I then, I have so many complexes around it. I feel as if I don't deserve the money that that I've made on the show because it doesn't, I don't feel like I can say I actually worked for it. Yeah. It's so extreme. And it's so confusing and you're like, yeah. this is just doesn't make any sense to me. So I, you know, I have real issues around <laughs> money and it, and it results in me like not taking care of it, not knowing, you know, yes, I do have money. I am financially stable for the first time in my life from having yeah. uh, worked on this show, but I still like pay my credit cards late because I, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm kind of a mess when it comes to that. But that's one of those things that I think I'm prone to think about things of in terms of if this were different, it would be easier. And in many ways, it absolutely, of course, it's easier to have money than right, like if to this, not. If the system, or, the system or, is an ideal, so how do I deal with it? Like that. Well, what I mean is, is for me, when I was struggling and, and didn't have money and was worried about how to pay rent, then an idea of, well, if I could get this type of job and then I could get paid that type of money and then my anxiety around my money would go away, right? And that's not true. <laughs> that's not true for me. Yeah. For me, you know, it's certainly easier, of course, to be secure in that way. But it doesn't mean that my anxiety about it is going to go away, or it doesn't mean that my relationship to it is any healthier. So I kind of am in yeah. this place of like, well, wherever you are with what you're dealing with, you know, how do I can I actually be present for what that is? Otherwise, it's not going to change, even if my circumstances change. Or there's always going to be a different. Right. idea of if I if I had that or if I did this or whatever it, it'll be different what will it because you're I haven't actually addressed my personal relationship to it so that's kind of the journey I'm on <laughs> there with, with my I know it doesn't really answer your question I, I think that when it comes to yeah business I don't I don't I'm not a business person I it doesn't make sense to me I'm not a mathematical person I don't mm-hmm. you know my aptitude for numbers uh, is very low <laughs> and uh, and even just thinking in a in the way of of um, 
finance or or business it just is all like it means nothing to me and when i meet people who are economists or work in certain i'm like what is that what does that mean it doesn't make any sense in my head um and it to me personally it's those ideas or my ideas of it are very incongruous with my ideas of creative the creative process and and art as i see it they they don't make sense to me in tandem so the idea of seeing yourself as a business person in a creative industry is very hard for me to reconcile um and i think that for me it leads it leads my brain down paths that that make me uncomfortable but i think in a bad way (laughs) and and that um and that the times that I have either had to or chose, I mean, ultimately I always choose to engage with sort of that side of the world that we exist in, I get very uh, frustrated and anxious because it feels like I'm spending more and more of my time doing doing work that to me isn't the, the work, isn't, yeah. you know, um, the work of creation. And that so easily that side can take up all of your time and be the dominant um uh, output of energy and that feels backwards to me and so i you know i'm in pursuit of of ways to be more more engaged you know creatively and less engaged in in that but again have you have you found ways to have those relationships with the people who help actors like with agents or managers oh yeah, yeah relationships that are productive for you so they can help with those things but you still feel like mm-hmm. you're voicing what's important to you mm-hmm. standing up for yourself yeah. even if you don't speak the language of the <laughs> right. financial side of it you know right. what I mean yeah when yeah. they're thinking about that stuff yes yeah I'm also very lucky in that way that I, I've had the same representation since I left school and oh, really? I have a yeah That's I have awesome. a really really great relationship with uh with those people and and they're very dear to me and I trust them very much and they, I trust that they understand me in certain ways and and I trust that they understand that I'm not interested in certain things and so they kind of like deal with things so that I don't that you know because they know that I won't or that, or that right. I can't so right. I'm lucky but I'm lucky to ha- be in a position to be able to trust those people um and yeah I've never I've always knock on wood been been fortunate in how well they how well they or how hard they work to to understand kind of what I'm interested in and where I'm coming from and how to facilitate that and it took time at the beginning because you know it's like any kind of relationship that you have I think you have to find your way into mitigating expectations and you know what are they what's their interest versus what's your your interest and how do they come together and how do you resolve that in a way that's productive and um but again i'm so lucky because they're like really great people that i, <laughs> that I really care about and that makes all the, the difference you know? yeah that's so, huge yeah yeah can we talk a little bit about your collaborative relationship with daniel mm. who you mentioned because he mm-hmm. was on episode 35 yeah, of the compass if you want to go back and listen to it <laughs> um but i know like right out of school you did a ton of his plays yeah did you guys meet he wasn't at school when you no, were at school. He had graduated the year before I got there, so I didn't uh, I didn't know him until the fourth year. And uh, a wonderful actor named Brian Smith, who was in my class, mm-hmm. had done a play with him 
before he came, before it was in the year between when Daniel had graduated and before Brian came to school, um, they did a play in, I want to say at the Alley Theater together. Um, so they had become close, and then Daniel came to see Brian in plays um, and was around a bit, and, and I met him that way. And then he invited me to do a, a, first it was a reading, I guess, and then a workshop of his play Slipping, uh, which mm -hmm. now I've you know been involved in in a couple of different ways and at different times and different places. Um, and I would keep doing every year if I could, but I'm too old now to be. Is that the one that you and Adam did together? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That rattlestick? Exactly, yeah. I remember that. Um, it's a beautiful play. It was Daniel's, I don't know if it was his first play, but I think it might have been the first play that was produced, and they did it at the Royal Court um, when, when he was still in school, actually, on a summer. Uh, he spent in London and did it there. Anyway, um, yeah, he asked me to be involved, and I read the play and was just so kind of moved and heartbroken by it and by his writing he's an incredible um writer and his work on the page is unlike any other that i've ever seen in theater or or elsewhere and and the more i get to know daniel the more his writing makes sense to me in a way because it's so deeply personal and it's so uh, but it's so beautifully universal at in, in the same time, which is what I think great writers have an ability to be so specific and so um, true to their own experience, but in, uh, but translated in a way that, that feels um, human in a broader sense. Anyway, yeah, I just became so, um, so, well, grateful to him. He has a, He has a real capacity for nurture and mentorship and he understands and has imbued in me a feeling of the value of that um, yeah. in the arts and in what we do and how and and then you know once you have that sense of value something you recognize that it's lacking <laughs> so often that mm -hmm. sense of of um of yeah mentorship and 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 apprenticeship and yeah and that there's something that we need that in the theater that there's it's become so competitive and so like everyone's trying to yeah. find their place which of course and and that's bound to happen um but he's a person that creates a creates places for people to to be and to work in a way that just that makes sense to me that's very collaborative very um you know in dialogue and and you know, that's what it's about, in my opinion. That's the whole point of what we do, and that's part of what I struggle with in working on TV. That it doesn't feel that quite so much that way in the experiences that I've had. Um, but I think a lot of the way that I think about it, um, Daniel has had a, a huge impact uh, and contributed to that in in yeah. many ways. And he's someone that I hope I'll get to keep you know keep working with forever. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing yeah. to have those relationships especially yeah. with a writer yeah yeah absolutely where you keep kind of coming back to each other you know how to work together yeah. yeah yeah and that's the you know again that's something that we've sort of moved away from as the theater becomes in my opinion as it becomes more institutionalized and and forced to become more commercial that the sense of a company a sense of a a um cohorts of, of artists yeah. that have a rapport with each other that develop you know we don't really have repertory theater very much in this country anymore 
um, and that ability to, to create shorthand and to have time to develop artistic relationships and then see what can come out of that. And of course, the more time that you, you have to put into that, the more you'll reap the, the fruit of it. And um, yeah, I think it's really special. And I'm, I'm just, I'm realizing how lucky I am as I sit here <laughs> and talk about all these that's things. Beautiful. Uh, grateful. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of one of the best things about my time at Juilliard was having mm. that time to work with an ensemble for yeah. four years, the same people for yeah. four years who sometimes drive you crazy, of but course, you really right. get to that point. We have that shorthand. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I that's that. what it's about. It's about yeah. also the parts of that you drive each other crazy because that's a truthful human experience and if you can experience that together with someone else and get through it yeah and keep going <laughs> then then you have some you know something more about what that means between you and that person and then okay. you have an ability to work with them in a certain way that goes just a little bit deeper so you're, you keep kind of in the good and the bad you you're getting deeper in what you can what you can explore with those people I think is there something you're proud of from the last couple of years that you want to tell me about it doesn't have to be a big thing it could be like a lesson you've learned or hmm. I'm pr I'm not sure that proud of, the thing that jumps to mind and then when I think of whether I'm proud of it or not I don't know that it totally makes sense but I just got back for, I'm not sure if I've talked to you about this yet but from this program that I got to this workshop that I got to go and do in Italy um, no. with the with the work center of Jerzy Grotowski, if you know about that company, mm -hmm. they're based in Italy, and it's uh, excuse me, it's the work center of Jerzy Grotowski and Thomas Richards, who is the person who took over for Grotowski when he died. Grotowski, for listeners that don't know, was a, <laughs> a, Pol a, a Polish theater maker, one of the most influential theater makers of the 20th century, and very very prominent in U European theater and in the sort of, um, uh, I want to say, philosophy of theater. He was one of the most famous directors in the world and then basically walked away from a professional professional career as a director and like literally ran away to the woods with a group of young actors and wanted to dedicate his life to exploring the craft of, of acting, of um, theater making. And uh, for years and years and years, they didn't they didn't perform ever. They were just in research and in rehearsal and in development and in training. Um, and there's a book called Towards a Poor Theater that he wrote, sort of early on in that exploration. And then he continued in his work. He died in the in the 90s. And then this guy, American American guy named Thomas Richards, took over the company. They're based in, in Italy in the Tuscan countryside, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and I saw them. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Edinburgh last year at the festival, um, and they brought some work, or they were hosted by Rose Bruford College to do some of their repertory um, at the festival at the Fringe. And I saw this piece that they had created that, going into it, I didn't know anything about it, other than it was based on uh, Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground, which okay. I vaguely remember from God, <laughs> and that it was going to be three hours long with no interval, no no intermission, and that it was going to, that there was no production value at all, no like sets or lights or anything. 
So I walked in, I'm like, oh my God, I was you know, <laughs> downing coffee beforehand, like sitting in the front row. I'm like, I can't fall asleep. I can't fall asleep. And if I could have sat there for another three hours, I, I would have. I mean, my jaw was on the floor. The, the work that these performers were, were embodying uh, was so unbelievable to me and so moving <laughs> and so foreign and yet familiar at the same time. And they work a lot with song. Um, they do this ancient, they, they sing these ancient vibratory songs, and but they also have this incredible character work and it was I mean desperately funny and 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 I was in tears as well it was an incredible performance incredible piece of theater and I was like shaking afterwards I was so excited by it and um so I kind of became obsessed with them and then kept looking at their workshops to see if I could find a time to go and just learn from them and and try to get a little bit closer to understanding what was going on (laughs) there and so uh yeah I I got back a few weeks ago from spending two weeks in Italy with this company and training uh, and and sort of scratching the surface of the work that they've been developing for you know a long time <laughs> a long time and it's very it's the hardest thing I've ever done as an actor um, and it required me to write which I'm afraid of doing and I don't have a practice of I was writing material for myself to perform in a one person performance capacity, which I'm also terrified of and have no real interest in, (laughs) you know, so it was all these things that just scared the living daylights out of me. And, um, and it was, it was, I was there for two weeks and I couldn't imagine how these people live and do this work every day of their lives. They're like monastics essentially. I mean, they, their dedication to this practice is so deep and so profound and, and they're getting at something, it's very hard to articulate, but they're getting at something very primal, I think, about mm-hmm. the human impulse to share stories and to perform and to sing and to, to be together in a way where the context is heightened into an imaginary or, or a spiritual realm that they see, I think, or my experience of, of <laughs> being in this place, it, it, it that's what they're interested in. And it, it's... It's more like a, a a monastery than any theater that I've ever been to, quite quite honestly. And and the work is so so profound. And uh, so I guess in a way I'm pr- I'm proud I guess of just having gone to do. I'm proud of of not leaving. That's a yeah. that's a good way. But no, but what you're talking moments, about, like fa- acknowledging yeah, fear or yeah, yeah. facing fear, and you did something totally. that was really scary. Because there like, were there were moments in there where I was, I was like, this is I don't know why am I here? What am I doing? Yeah. And it very much became about that. It became about confronting my doubts and, and my fears and, uh, and then sort of working through that and finding what's on the other side of that in this context, um, was really, really heavy for me. And again, I feel like I've only sort of scratched the surface of kind of what they're about. So, you know, it's something I want to keep thinking about, keep chewing and, and working on. How many people are in the the group there the so the company is has two separate oh you know what i should plug this because the one of the two groups that comprises this company is going to be spending time in new york in september and october and they're going to be doing these open 
Um, they call them open choir, these open singing sessions. And I think it's going to be in the Bronx. I'll try to give you yeah, more specific. Yeah, when you, when you find out, let me know. Yeah, I'll tell but if you go on the Work Center of Josie Kurtovsky's site and the uh, one of their two groups will be traveling to New York, and I'm sure there'll be dates and things on there. Um, so there's two separate groups. I'd say there's maybe 12, 10 to 12 um, company members in each of those two groups. And then there were like 40 of us I think there as workshop the participants workshop. and we kind of worked with the directors of the two groups and then with the company members and and kind of got a glimpse into how they work and what they do and uh, it was amazing <laughs> that sounds amazing yeah yeah um I've never been to Ed- Edinburgh oh I feel like I've talked to someone else recently about it on the yeah. podcast um, um Charlie Russell right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I heard her I haven't seen that show yet, but I've heard it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. Um, yes, I remember her, and it's true, everything she said, that that <laughs> festival is amazing. It's a really, I've been there twice to perform and two other times just to go and see stuff. And it's crazy. It's enormous and overwhelming. Um, but it's one of those places where if ever I'm feeling doubtful or, or that I've lost a sense of hope in our art form, it's so affirming to be yeah. in a place where half a million people descend for a month every summer to celebrate live performance. I'm excited about it. I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> not because it's a famous play. No, yeah. Not because there's a celebrity in yeah. it. Yeah, and of course it has its own politics and its own right, weird right. stuff. And there's, you know, there's a lot of terrible things <laughs> there that, you know, whatever. That, that's part of the fun of it as well, is, is not knowing. But some of the most incredible work I've ever seen has has been there and it's an ability as an american artist to expand your idea Mm -hmm. of what the process is and you know things that i think i in the past have taken for granted as oh well this is how you do things and then seeing other things from other places and realizing oh this isn't how this is how we normally do things in our culture or in our dominant you know pieces of art in this field in america but that doesn't mean that's how it does done every i mean these people are approaching it from a totally different place and it just for me it expanded my idea of what you know what the work can right. be and, and I find that so inspiring this is actually I wasn't planning to ask you this but speaking of Charlie's episode could I ask you about what it was like when you did your show the play you did in London mm. to be an American actor working in London because I got her perspective as a British actor here in right. New York but I feel like it doesn't happen quite as often mm. for American actors to do a show in London what was that like yeah I've gotten I've been I'm again so lucky to have gotten <laughs> to get to, to work over there a couple of times I've done two plays there and, and a couple up in Scotland and um, it's a very different experience and and I uh, I love I love London and I love the theater culture that exists there and partly because it's less separate from the rest of the culture <laughs> like theater is a part of the culture there I think in a way that it is is struggling to find or to to maintain that relevance in the broader culture um and I have oh, how much time do you have? Because I have a lot of opinions <laughs> about this. I think a lot of it comes down to money, right? That uh, in a culture where there's still some value uh, in the art form as a public good and as a necessity right. or as a as something that's important for people to experience, um, you know, that means that there's a sliver of money, a sliver of budget somewhere in the federal 
and local governments that goes to those pursuits. And we've all but lost that in this country. Uh, and over there, of course, I went over there thinking like, oh, well, it's a free-for-all and everybody gets all the money they want to do art. Of course, that's not the way it is there. <laughs> and there, they're very afraid, as you know, as is right to be, that they're losing the arts funding. Um, but there's still, right now at least, for the time being, there's just enough that a handful of theaters over there are able to have just enough of their budget covered that they're able to take more risks in the work that they do, hmm. be more uh, imaginative in the the scope of the work. You know, I think here in New York, it's as a my playwright friends talk about that. You know, they're often told don't write a play with more than three characters in one location because right. it's not going to get produced. Right. <laughs> so there's l slightly less of that pressure there. Um, and they can keep their ticket prices lower. So on two levels, that on one level it means that the theaters that don't work in that model, the commercial theaters, which there are plenty of, the West End, and you know more theaters than not are commercial, are the same as Broadway or Off-Broadway here. Um, but those theaters have to compete with the theaters that do have the funding, right? So if you're a West End producer and you're going to put up a play that is boring and and old or whatever and not that interesting and you're going to charge a hundred pounds for a ticket people aren't going to go because they're going to go to the national theater or the donmore or the almeida or the places where you can get in for 10 15 20 pounds right. and you can see something that you know pushing an envelope or being risky or doing something more unique or or more interesting um, so it, it, there's a check and balance there that we don't have here. Everything has gone up and up and up and up. And broad, broad, it's off-Broadway is just as bad as Broadway now that it's so expensive to go and see a play. And so then they need to find the people that are going to be the sure ticket sell. You know, it's it's all it's just trending upward in a way that has nothing to anchor the other side of it, I think. And the other part of it is that it means that people have access to to the theater and I you know theater is the art form is reflective of of who is seeing of the culture right and in our culture only certain there's a barrier to entry most people can't afford to go to the theater especially in New York and it's a problem in other cities as well but especially here um, normal people don't go to the theater because I, I you know most of the time I can't afford to go to the theater and I'm yeah. and I'm a working actor that's you know it's not right it shouldn't be that way no, it's usually and, like when you get comps there's somebody right or exactly it's like it's crazy and and so it then becomes it, it's there's no way to avoid the process then of it becoming a hall of mirrors between what's on stage and who's in the audience yeah and the narrower the scope the spectrum of people that can be in the audience then the narrower the scope of the work is going to be it's very clear I think. And so then when you see work that's being made in a culture where that pressure is there, but it's alleviated just enough, just enough that there can be other voices. And I mean, I got to be in a play called War Horse. And that to me is a perfect example because that play, <laughs> that play started in the basement of the, in like a room in the basement of the National Theater with these two great directors, but who were not, you know, big name directors in, in the UK at the time. Um, and they came to them and said, like, we've got this crazy idea about having a play where the main character is a horse that doesn't talk and it's going to be a puppet. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. And in this country, yeah. it wouldn't happen. I'm sorry. You know, well, I don't it think it would. it shows that these shows, they get developed there. Exactly. They right. get given a chance <laughs> yeah, right. in England. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah, right. when they're a huge hit, exactly. yeah. Broadway's like, 
give yeah. it to me, give it to me, give yeah. it to me. And, and, <laughs> Let and me charge wh- a ton right. of money. <laughs> yeah. And while I was doing that play, I, I, I talked it's at length to, to anyone that would listen about why, about why it's important to, to um, invest in developing, yeah. but in, a re- in an authentic way. Yeah. Because they could dream into that idea as as they played with it and explored and said, oh, this is working, this is working, this isn't working. They could dream into what the scope of it could be. And then ultimately it became, you know, something that was lucrative and toured the world. But that also wasn't their goal. They were trying to tell a story in a way that made sense to them as artists. No, and you see that, I mean, you can see that right now with Natasha Pierre. But that is few and far between. Yeah, yeah. Few and far between. Yeah, and, and that, you know... That's all, <laughs> but that, that as well is like str- now struggling to stay afloat right. on Broadway. It's a by, brilliant piece of theater. It's beautiful. The, uh, the measure of what quote unquote success is, right. how much money is coming in yeah. each week. Exactly. Exactly. When to me, it's one of the most successful plays I've seen. Yeah. In years. Yeah, and I, I just think maybe our barometer is is off somehow, yeah. and I, I think that you know it ties into so much about the world that is outside of the you know what we're talking about right now and which is another part of life that i have been (laughs) 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 that we all you know right that we're all sort of working maybe to figure out what our what our place as well i'm interested in what my place as an artist is in social movements you know what where are we right now in the world and what do we as artists have to contribute um to imagining a different world and i was just listening to a beautiful interview with uh, this filmmaker named josh fox you know who he is he's done some incredible he's an incredible documentarian um i would recommend all of his his work he's a passionate environmental activist and as, as well as an indigenous rights activist and um he his newest film is called Awake: A Dream from Standing Rock, and he yeah he's just an amazing guy. He was being interviewed by Nina Turner, who's another incredible uh, woman who I hope runs for president, and I will be out on doors not going to endorse for her. They were talking about you know what does it mean to be in a social movement? What does it mean to be a part of you know the word resistance is very is a is a hot thing right right now um but what does that really mean right. and he was talking about the need for um to to work at what you're passionate about and find the way that it relates to to your place as a citizen of of your city of your country of the world um yeah because many times you know i've i i feel it's like well, what am i doing i'm here playing play pretend and mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's so much happening in the world that i feel like how can i be useful and well, you know that i mean that's a fantastic question <laughs> i feel like i know you've done work with a step in the past mm-hmm. artists driving to end poverty but now is a particular moment in history mm-hmm. is it something you're just pondering or have you have you found any resources that might be helpful to people I mean, for me, the the moments that I've felt myself creeping towards some type of clarity uh-huh. or some type of um, deepening understanding of what that, of even just what that like question is for me, is is just when I when I intentionally put myself in proximity, um, when I intentionally uh, find my way into 
um, experiences and situations w where, and it's of course aligned with like my personal, what, what I am passionate about in terms of social justice and, and human rights and, and finding my way to get closer to the, because something that I find interesting about the moment that we're in is that after the election, there was this groundswell of, of a desire to get involved, right? To, to like do some, let's do something. And that's amazing. Like that's so beautiful. And I, I, I feel like uh, I, uh, as well, in, in conversation, there was a, a lot of a sense of like, well, we have to figure out what to do, right? And there were times where I stepped back and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> none, of the, none of the battles are different on November 9th than they were on November 8th. They just, they might be more urgent. They're more dangerous for sure for certain people. Um, it's, it's scarier and, it, and the, the tactics are going to be different, but the fights have been there and they will continue yeah. to be there. And there are people that are doing the work and have been. And so there was a bit of a sense of like, well, someone should be doing this. And like, I bet you somewhere so someone is doing that. Right. And how do you find your way to offer what you have you to that? those people? Um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, True. You know, this is it's happening. And, and what are our ways to to just show up and just support? Um, and, you know, I I've tried to find moments to do that, because then when you do, then it changes. And, you know, it it becomes clearer what is actually you know what what is the fight actually what is the the struggle and the closer i can be to it in whatever that means how i mean i think physical proximity is, <laughs> is valuable in that way um and is the only version that makes sense to me because right. i'm not an, an online person so much um then you you learn and and you figure out wh how you can be useful to it this is fantastic I have many things I wish I could ask you, but I'm going to go to the end because we've talked yeah, for yeah. an hour. Oh, boy. And, wow. um, we have talk. other things to do. Yes, we do. Um, <laughs> we're going to have game night, game people. Night. Game night. <laughs> I, okay, so I got board games, and I'm excited, and uh, Seth and his girlfriend are going to play them with Frankie. Okay. Yes. So the last two questions, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but yeah. are there any tangible things that you reach for on a day when – you're mm -hmm. in the dark side or when your anxiety is overwhelming that can help you feel a little bit more grounded yeah for me you know being outside <laughs> just, and then um in terms of like practical things i early on in my sort of uh searching for spiritual connectedness i i was introduced to teek not han and his writing it's a um Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk and was uh, is continues to be uh, an activist and a uh, he was nominated by Dr. King for the Nobel Prize um, he did oh, wow. an incredible work during the war in Vietnam in working with people um, in his country ultimately was exiled and um, just an extraordinary thinker and person and uh, he's written many books and has an incredibly lucid way of expressing ideas that can be very simple and yet impossible to understand at the right. same time. <laughs> and for me, the way that he talks, the way that he expresses ideas, um, I find very uh, inspiring. I listen to Krista Tippett a lot. Do you listen to uh, yeah. On Being? I always almost say Speaking of Faith, because that's what it used to be called, but On Being is her show, and 
yeah, she just, she has people that on her show that think in such incredible ways. And every time I listen to it, I, I feel like my perspective <laughs> shifts in a, in a beautiful way. Um, yeah. And then, and then like dumb things like eating chocolate or <laughs> watching <laughs> it's Netflix. It's not dumb. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a very important part of life. And then finally, is there anything of any art form that you want to recommend? Hmm. You mentioned that documentary. Awesome. Yeah. Gosh, you know, I've been away from the city for so long that I'm not really keyed into I haven't mm-hmm. seen theater since I've been back here. And uh, well, you mentioned the radio radio drama oh, world. Yeah. Is there anything on that end? Well, I mean if you can find um BBC Radio Four is usually where the, the radio dramas are aired. But it's amazing. There's still a whole I mean, people write radio plays, and they're, they're, it's a completely thriving uh, art form over there that it's, and it's not any longer over here. Now, I used to stay up at night. There was a radio station when I was a kid that used to play, like, old radio, like, classic radio dramas and comedies uh, at, like, 11 o'clock at night. So I would be up there with my, well, my radio. Being from Minneapolis, did yeah. you ever... Were you oh, into Prairie, Prairie Home, Home Companion? <laughs> My dad is a, I believe, a background artist in the Prairie Home Companion film that they made since <laughs> a few years ago. I love yeah, that of course, movie. T- totally grew up with that, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's my preferred way of consuming media is through my ears. I don't know wh- why that is, but um, well, I guess theater is probably preferred over that. But <laughs> <laughs> but after that, um, yeah, I I would encourage people. Uh, to check out this, these open choir sessions uh, with the work center folks when they come through town, um, because there's something really moving to me about what they create in a room with bodies and voices, um, and the kind of collective experience that can happen there that I've witnessed and been a part of, and uh, I'm excited for them to come because I want to go back and just be in that room again um and it's totally outside of of maybe um quote-unquote normal understanding of theater you know you're not going to go sit down in an auditorium and see a performance you're going to you know if you go to one of these you're going to be a part of something and you'll be singing and you'll be moving and you don't have to be a singer no yeah no 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 it's it's very much yeah it's not about the sound i don't think that's coming out it's it's sort of about how and where it's vibrating in you and in and amongst the people there in the room so that's something that has been was really exciting for me and and i would love to share with other people amazing so thank you thank you so much i'm so grateful listening to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook in itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick choksi and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.